Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Very nice. They have to do something to keep themselves warm. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Gather around the bonfire, grab a glass of wine, and and uh, enjoy the evening. It's a, it's a good time. That's right. It's uh, always a fun, good time on All About Wine. Uh, I, I got it. Uh, What'd you it get? Just, uh, just what you're drinking. Oh. Well, isn't that cool? Well, good. Yeah. So we're, uh, yeah, was, is your, and yours is chilled also, I guess. No, it is not. It is not. I, I had one sitting out on my desk and that I was going to open earlier, and I forgot about it. Oops, that shouldn't be up there. Uh, I forgot about it. And so during the opening, we were talking about it, Mike and I were talking about what I was drinking. I said, nothing, I forgot my wine. So during the opening, I ran in and grabbed my bottle of Florida State Winery Strawberry Port, and I got myself a Florida State Winery glass. To match Mike, which is the same thing he's doing tonight, drinking his Florida State Winery strawberry port out of his Florida State Winery glass. So, uh, well, I, I didn't realize you got the. I mean, it's the same exact thing. Yes, it is the exact same. Thing. Except yours is chilled, mine exactly, wasn't chilled. Yeah. Exactly yeah, so. what I'm having, other than the chilling part. Yeah. Wow. Definitely the chilling it's, part. It is definitely so. a delicious wine. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. I, I have to say I'm very proud of myself on this wine, and I'm really sad that it's not being made anymore. So, uh, mm. oh, yeah, it smells yeah. so good too. You know, it, it really does. It smells so good. Mm-hmm. It's just it's got a nice hint of strawberry in it, but the you don't don't detect that higher alcohol level in it, uh, in the in the nose or anything. It doesn't do that when you taste it. It's not overpowering. Yeah, it's just nope. usually after a, a glass or two, then you kind of realize. Yeah, then you say, "Oh, well, that alcohol is higher." That is some potent. <laughs> that is. That's not wine. That's port. <laughs> I think. I think. I don't know how many shows ago it was that I was drinking the port, and I had a. I filled the glass up. I know you're, you know, it's like half or whatever, but no, this this was yeah. a pretty good chunk, and I think by the end of the show, I was just. You were saying something about, you know, I forgot what the t- I got to look on my notes, but, uh, and I was just Googling anything, you know, like <laughs> you would say something like, and there was this happening, and I'd go, Google, Google. airline um, baggage fees. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> like, I didn't, wow, this is fun. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I forget to <laughs> Just snuck up there all of a sudden. Wow! Uh, it, it, it do that to you. Very good. It's good though. That. It nice, is, nice, it nice, nice one. And for all of you, of you out there who have not gotten any when I was selling out, I'm you really out. Missed. So that's it. It, yeah. it is done. Yep. So, yes, no. it is. I can send you a label. If anybody likes a label, I can send you a label. But, I mean, as far as the court, <laughs> I've been into a label. <laughs> yeah. And you couldn't, um, couldn't, uh, couldn't miss the distinctive bottle either. It was a, it was a special bottle. Um, I, never, I have personally never seen it before. You've probably seen thousands of them, but very unique yeah, bottle. And, bottling uh, them, just, yeah. Uh, it's wonderful. Um, 
So. And, and, you know, it's uh, made it unique in itself, too, and all that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, special port, never never to be made again. Yeah, that's sad. It makes me sad to talk about that. So I won't talk about it anymore. We'll go on to something okay. else. Uh, yep, December the 6th, if you're listening to us live, December the 6th and um, 2018. Uh, we only have, a, what, three, four more shows of this year? Three shows of this year, maybe? Uh, well, today, next week, and the following week, and then the 27th, yeah, after Christmas. So, yeah, three after this week, so four coming this week. Yeah, so, and then, then we start a new year. and we go um, 2019, wow. And already? Yeah. A tenth anniversary of the show in 2019. Ten years. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's right. And still wow. going. Still going. Over. We still got listeners for listening all these years. Two. Yeah. 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 Very good. Um, you have a couple oh. of uh, quite a few topics for tonight. I know you have to get yeah, into some stuff. So before. So thanks. Uh, and and did you know that 85 years ago yesterday, prohibition was repelled. Eighty-five hmm. years since prohibition. I don't remember. I'm old. and I don't remember that. So you know. Wow. Hmm. So eighty-five years. Wow. And ever since then, I've been trying to figure out what they're going to do in the states for shipping and everything else. So we're going to get into that a little bit plus some other stuff here. But first, first, the food days. This is always uh, something I like to share with you. I don't know if anybody likes it or not, but I think it's cool. And uh, today is National Microwave Oven Day, so uh, whatever you're doing, microwave it. Tomorrow, National Cotton Candy Day, not something that you normally have in your pantry or in your refrigerator, but that's National Cotton Candy Day. I don't know. I guess, where can you get cotton candy? Uh, Jeez. Only place I know is uh, Golden Corral Restaurants. Usually have cotton candy on weekends, but that's the only thing I know of. But hmm. Saturday the eighth, National Brownie Day. Grab yourself some good fudge brownies. No, well, it didn't say fudge brownies, and it's quite specific on these. It just says brownie. Grab yourself a brownie and open up a bottle of Carmenere from Chile or Zimondo from California or even a Pinot Noir from Oregon or Argentina, and enjoy some brownies and some of those, and great, great combinations. Sunday the 9th, National Pastry Day. The 10th is National Lager Day. So if you want to get tired of the wines, have yourself a lager, a beer. Tuesday 11th, National Have a Bagel Day. So... uh, Pop open a bagel, and they come in so many different styles so that opens you up for lots of possibilities on wine with it. Also, uh, Tuesday's UNICEF Day. It's, uh, I don't know. You don't hear too much about UNICEF. Used to trick or treat for UNICEF used to be a big thing when I was growing up. And you go out the day before and with your little boxes, and you go trick or treating for UNICEF, and people drop coins in your box, and you turn it into the UNICEF and kids are cut for UNICEF. I don't know if they do that anymore. They might be, well, probably not because they so scared now out there. The 12th, National Cocoa Day and National Ambrosia Day and National Gingerbread House Day. So the 12th is a busy day. And then the 13th, a week from today, National Popcorn String Day which is a good opportunity to sit down with anything. You can have yourself a glass of strawberry port while you're stringing the popcorn. And if you've never strung popcorn before, pop up a batch and string it. It is fun for about three minutes, and then you go, oh, I'm not going to do this, and then you just go and get your regular garland and throw it up on the tree. But string popcorn, it is it is fun. And then something we got to look forward to on the 14th, week from tomorrow, National Biscuits and Gravy Day. Woo! I like biscuits and gravy. So there you go. That's what it's done. Match your wines with your foods this coming week. Enjoy. Don't overindulge in any of it. But uh, that's what we got coming up. A little bit of trivia. First, too much of a good thing. If you're entertaining and you want to end 
the night with a bang. It's tempting to buy a sensational dessert wine with an outrageous dessert to accompany it. But wait. Precisely because a sweet wine is luscious and rich, serving an equally rich dessert can be a big mistake, even for those of you who have a huge sweet tooth. That's why the best partners for dessert wine are utterly simple. In Europe, for example, a great evening often ends with a sweet wine and a plate of simple, not very sweet cookies. Another great idea, a bowl of mixed sliced fruits that have been marinated with a little of the sweet wine you plan to serve. That sounds good. If you do serve a cake or tart, make sure it isn't too sweet and don't put the frosting on it. Vanilla pound cake, almond cake, or fruit tarts are all great options with your sweet wines. When I talk sweet wines, I mean sweet. We're looking at uh, ice lines or Drakenbaren ice laces or uh, salt churns or toques or stuff like that. I mean sweet, sweet wines. So uh, if you're looking at uh, serving them this holiday, don't go overboard on sweetness. All right, we got a few things to talk about. First, a wine competition is coming up. For all of you wineries out there, all of you people who want to attend it, just for uh, giggles, you can go and see the 2018-2019 uh, Texas International Wine Competition. January 18th and 19th are early entry discounts by that date. $65 per entry plus three bottles. And I talked about what it takes to enter these contests before. Every one of them has a price, and they also include how many bottles you're supposed to have and all that. Here's a good example. Three bottles and $65 for every entry. Uh, this, uh, If you enter right now, uh, oh, early bird discount is expired. So, you know, forget it. You're going to get a 20% discount, but obviously it's too late. Uh, the... Uh, Entry fee 65. Entries are due by January 3rd. Competition is January 18th and 19th. What did I say? Early bird discount. That's a different column. Boots and Bottle, bottle Gala is January 19th, and the medals are announced on January the 25th. Well, that's odd. You go to the event, and you have to wait a week to find your results. But, hey, that's how they do it in Texas, I guess. So if you are interested... And entering, go to www.txiwc.com. You want information? Info at txiwc.com. And if you want to attend the event, then all you need to do is actually go to txiwc and find out where and more information. I don't know. You know, that's funny. They got this whole page here, and it doesn't tell anywhere where the event's being held. Hmm. Texas, we know that much, but it doesn't say anything else. Uh, but they're going to have entertainment, all sorts of stuff. So if you're in the Texas area and you want to attend a fun event, these wine tastings are always, always a kick. I've been to a few in my life, and I've always enjoyed them. Over 370 uh, masters of wine from 28 countries will be judging this. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of wines and stuff, uh, a lot of them from the Texas area, which is always a a great tasting there too. Uh, no, nowhere does it say where, but txiwc.com or info at txiwc, and you can get the information you need. All right. Um, well, here, let me. I've got some things I, I mentioned 28 years ago. And once my cursor starts, there it goes. 28 years ago, this or yesterday, 28 years ago yesterday, the prohibition was repelled, and let's see. I well, since I find it here, uh, prohibition into 28 years ago. Where is my article on that? Uh, obviously, you don't know. That was a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> Look on uh, the left, left of your uh, where you're at now. <laughs> the left. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Under. Uh, oh, by the way, 
uh, UNICEF trick or treat while you're looking for that uh, is yeah. still going on. Uh, it started 68 years ago and has raised nearly 177 million dollars since wow. 1950. And uh, 1950, yeah, 1950, and um, helps kids uh, worldwide, um, 190 countries, and uh, millions of children. Uh, helps them with immunizations, education, healthcare, nutrition, safe water, and sanitation, emergency relief, and a whole lot more. And uh, yeah, it's still going on. So uh, there you go. There's all kinds of information oh. on it. So uh, yeah, good stuff. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I. I uh... Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, I do, uh, yeah, I remember, oh, there, I'm going back to the wrong one. Uh, I remember the uh, uh, going out trick-or-treating uh, for for UNICEF, and it was, we get little boxes, and, uh, you know, people knew about it. Everybody knew about it everywhere and all that, and all the kids, mostly through the churches, if I remember correctly, but all the kids would have their little boxes, and you know, they'd say, you know, be safe, go out and you go trick or treat. You didn't dress up or anything. You just go out and and uh, do your do your trick or treat for UNICEF. And they would uh, people would drop, you know, coins in the a box. Usually just coins. I don't think we got anything more than that now with uh, uh, inflation. You know, anything less than a, a buck would probably be pretty cheap. But uh, yeah, it used, to, it used to be really big. I guess they still do it, though. I just never never have seen anybody do it or anybody come around or anything since then. You would think that maybe somebody in your neighborhood at one time or another would be around for it. I don't know. I just I don't even see it advertised, though. I mean, that's odd. No, that's, that's what surprised me when you mentioned it. I said, I'd never heard of this. Um, you haven't? I, I never didn't. I mean, I heard of UNICEF, but not, not that they did anything, you know, trick-or-treat like that, so... Yeah, it's been something like all six, what did they say, 68 years or something like that? 65 uh, 68 years? 68 years ago. 1950 68? it started, so, yeah, 68 yeah. years. So, I grew up with it. I was born in 49, so there, you know, there it was. It was just, you know, once, once I was old enough, it was something that I uh, I was part of and used to do it all to the church all the time. Huh, that's, that's it's funny that uh, they haven't that it's not out there more, and the amount of money that's been earned over the years for that. It seems like they would, you know, want to continue. Although there are a lot, a lot of different charities that are out there for uh, the uh, uh, kids in different parts of the world and all that stuff. So I guess it's not as not as big anymore. But hmm. Well, thank you for looking that up. I, I, I thought everybody knew about it. And then you say you didn't know about it. Not that, but just that nope. it seemed odd, seemed odd that you know yeah. more people didn't. He's too, young. he's too young. You're right. My engineer just said he's too young. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you didn't know about it's it, still so. going on today, though. So I, I just. It's, you know, I just don't think they're they're getting the word out about it. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, um, people still trick or treat, but, um, I, I, but we just don't hear about that. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't too, and that's odd. I mean, it seems like you know if they've raised that much money over the years, it seems mm-hmm. like that they would continue on. It seems like it's it's a good cause, and it also gets kids involved too. I mean, not only oh, yeah. is it a good cause, but it, it gets kids aware. I, I'm. I'm trick-or-treating for UNICEF, which means that there's kids in other parts of the world, and I'm helping out a little bit here by doing my part. And that's something that's, mm-hmm. that's always good and charitable. So, yeah. Huh, well, good. Anyone out there who who hasn't done it or not aware of it, good. I hope we might have educated you a little bit on it. And if you have heard of it, you'll probably say, oh, I haven't heard of that in a long time. So, I can't find the article I was looking for on prohibition. That's still... Yeah, I've been looking while we've been talking here, and sometimes it gets hard to talk and look, but I, I just I can't find that article. I don't know why. I know it's here. And I made a note of the pages on it, made a note of the, all the stuff that I need to find it, and it's not here. And I don't know why. It just, you know, it should be right here, and it's not right here. Uh, oh, well... 
but an invasion of knowledge. That is just odd because it was talking about how prohibition ended 85 years ago, yesterday, and how it hasn't really changed as far as wine goes because every state has their own little thing now. But they do. Which, uh, again, we can go back. I've mentioned the other shows how Prohibition, when it was repelled, as a review, when Prohibition was repelled, the government said, okay, we're not going to stop this anymore. Boy, I wish I could find that article. That really upsets me a lot now because not only... They said prohibition did not stop you from drinking. There was no law that said you couldn't drink. The law was basically that you couldn't ship it, you couldn't produce it, and stuff like that. But there was nothing against drinking. And I wish I could find it. That that upsets me. I thought it was right there, and it's not there. Uh, But the... When they repelled the law of prohibition, they threw it back to the states, and they said, okay, states, it's up to you now. It's up to you to take care of this. It's up to you to find out what you're going to do, how you're going to do this, how it's going to, how it's going to uh, affect everybody and, and what it's going to do. Uh, and you take care of it. And so... When they did that, all the states started to make their own laws and rules and regulations and everything else, which is still in effect now. It's still causing us problems now. Um, so, uh, still have clear bottles. Okay. I'll, I'll mention an engineer just gave me a note which says we still have clear bottles. If anybody, no, uh, do we still have? Oh, do we still have? Clear I just sold it was a, a it was a question. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We still have some oh. clear bottles. She just sold some. I couldn't. I, I was talking about prohibition and she caught me off off guard there with that. Uh, but uh, let's see. Boy, and I'm still trying to find that, and I know it has to be here somewhere because it was a great article, and oh, for the life of me, I can't. And that's irritating. It's all get out because I can't find it. Well, but it it went on and talked about the how prohibition, the 10 points of prohibition, 10 things about prohibition that it's the 10 things you didn't know about prohibition. And interesting 10 things. And you know, I'm making you all excited to hear that. Now I can't find it to tell you about it. Um, I bet you for some reason I wiped it out. I don't think I normally do that, but maybe I did. Well, so, uh, but when they turned it back over to the states, the states said, okay, we'll do it. Then they made all these screwy laws. Um, One of the most common screwy law that they made was the fact that you cannot hold all three licenses. You cannot be a manufacturer and a distributor and a retail. And almost every state has that law. You can only hold two of those three licenses. So you can either become a retailer and a manufacturer or a distributor and a retailer or a manufacturer and distributor but you can be all three and so a lot of places got stuck having to go through middlemen and that middleman was a distributing company and distributing companies popped up and some of the biggest companies in the country right now are distributors of alcoholic beverages and you have to have a distributor to take it across state lines, and you can't ship it across state lines without your proper distributor at times or um, all sorts of rules on that. And we, we've all heard the rules, and we've all, you know, we've talked about the rules on the program and stuff. And it just you know, goes on and on and on. You're saying, oh, my gosh, 
why don't you just make it simple and easy for us? Well, well, it might be coming up simpler and easier for us. I noticed, let's see, where are we on this? Uh, court decision crucial for wine shipping. Let me go through this article here and uh, tell you what this says. Now, this is this is from WineSearcher.com. Uh, and it's court decision crucial for wine shipping. Interstate retail could become a little easier after a landmark decision in a U.S. court this week. Looming Supreme Court wine showdown became more likely. Now, this is from... Uh, Saturday, just this last Saturday, this came out, became more likely to have a sweeping national impact on direct shipping, thanks to an appeals court uh, in Illinois, federal, excuse me, federal appeals court in Illinois. One second while I take a sip of my strawberry port. Mm, that's good. The case was brought by an Indiana wine shop called Lebamoff, L-E-B-A-M-O-F-F, Lebamoff Enterprises. They want to ship wines to clients in Illinois. That's an Indian shop, which is against Illinois state law. Lebamoff uh, lost initially when the federal district court dismissed the case without even hearing it. But, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals ordered the case reopened just last Wednesday, a week ago yesterday. The wording of the appeal court's ruling appeared to suggest exactly what wine lovers in Illinois want to read, that states should not be able to discriminate against out-of-state retailers when writing their liquor laws. Now, this is big. This is a, a, a big line there. Because there's lots of states that say you you can't ship it from another state, uh, you have to you know have it here. And we've talked to wineries around the country who have told us about some of these laws, how it affects them. Meanwhile, the U.S. Supreme Court scheduled a hearing on January the 16th for the case that could decide the issue for everyone. This case is Tennessee Wine and Spirits Association versus Blair. And if you have followed this, it used to be BYRD, B-Y-R-D, it's been changed to Blair because the Tennessee Alcohol Beverage Commission has changed, so it's a new person. The Tom Wark, W-R-K, Executive Director of the National Association of Wine Retailers, said that even though the Seventh Court is below the Supreme Court, its ruling can be very significant for the higher court. Another case in Michigan where a district court ruled earlier this fall completely the opposite of the Illinois district court. It is uh, in favor of -of out-of-state retailers who want to ship champagne to Detroit, but inflammation of that ruling has been stayed, waiting for the Supreme Court to make their ruling. Wark told Wine Searcher that the issues in Tennessee case are a lot of the same issues as the Illinois case. First, the Supreme Court sees that the Michigan court has stayed and they're waiting. Now, the Illinois court knows they're going to be impacted by the Supreme Court. And it's more likely that the Supreme Court will rule more broadly instead of just for Illinois or even the Tennessee case or the Michigan case. They're going to they're gonna have to make a broad ruling that will cover all the states because different states are waiting for this ruling which is, bottom line, a yay for wine shipping and wine drinkers. The issue is not whether retail shops can ship to wine to customers. States are allowed to pass their own liquor laws based on the 21st Amendment, which repelled prohibition. Some states, like California, are relatively open to direct shipping. Others do not want the residents to be able to buy wine and spirits online, period and their state legislatures have the power to prevent it. And that's probably not going to change. Instead, 
The issue is whether a state like Illinois can allow its stores to ship wine and spirits to customers. Can a store do it? But prevent out-of-state stores from doing so. All right. We talked to wineries in Arkansas, and they said that they can ship across the state line, but they can't ship across the street. These are some of these type of laws that they're, they're looking at. Instead, uh, let's see. The issue is whether a state like Illinois can allow a store to ship wine and spirits to customers but prevent out-of-state from doing so. A landmark 2005 U.S. Supreme Court ruling, Granholm versus Hill, said that states could not discriminate against out-of-state wineries that they want to ship. Uh, could not discriminate against out-of-state wineries that want to ship wine. But the question of whether that ruling applies to retail shops has not yet been definitely addressed. Okay, so wineries can ship, and the ruling is that you, you can't stop from shipping, but can retail stores do it? Wednesday's seventh court district ruling, written by Chief Judge Diane Woods, suggests that Graham should apply to retailers. All right, so this is... This means that you can go down to your local out-of-state wine shop and have it shipped over to you from somewhere else if you're not getting it, that, which can circumvent, possibly circumvent some of the wine state-ran wine retail stores. I don't know. It might. That's another question that could come up. Possibility there. The interest. State shipment provision decries direct marketing of liquor as a serious threat, not only to the health of state residents, but also to the economy of the state. The first reason touches on the core of the 21st Amendment, while the second smacks of protectionism, Wood wrote. So, if Illinois can limit the dangers of mail-order sales through other requirements, why does it need to discriminate against interstate commerce and flatly bar out-of-state retailers from obtaining a license? So, because she made this decision, and which decision is going to have a lot of attention, because she is the Chief Justice of the 7th District Court of Appeals, and she is respected a lot and well-known in judicial circles, and her opinion carries a lot of weight. So because of that, it could make an impact on the Supreme Court's ruling. Uh, Chicago residents cannot immediately order Old Bordeaux from New York auction houses, but the immediate effect ruling is that Illinois federal courts must reconsider the case under the guidelines that would put out by the Graham and Hill uh, decision. Okay, that also looks at the Tennessee case. The issue in that case is not direct shipping. Tennessee had a requirement that wine shop owners be local residents. That's when Total Wine sued, claiming that requirements discriminate against out-of-state stores. It's similar to the Illinois and Michigan cases, but not exactly the same, which again means that the Supreme Court cannot just use a small, narrow ruling. They're going to have to make an actual decision on this one. Which, again, I say yay, because they so often make small, narrow rulings say, okay, state, you have to do it on a lot of this other stuff. But this is going to have to be, this is three major issues in three different states that are coming before this. So this is a ruling that the Supreme Court is going to have to do more than just, you know, well, okay, two of us dissent, and so therefore this is our, our ruling. No, you're going to have to make a decision here. It's... Uh, Work said, I think it's more likely that this case means the Supreme Court will rule that the Blair case will address direct shipping, which is the issue all along. Direct shipping. Direct shipping has always been an issue ever since Prohibition was repelled, and we've got it again now. So uh, that's coming up. Actually, 13 states and the District of Columbia allow out-of-state retailers to ship wine to their residents. All right. Five states absolutely prohibit wineries from shipping wine to their residents. 
Another six have restrictions. But 39 states allow wineries to ship directly to the residents without restrictions. And that number has steadily increased since the Granholm decision. So, January the 16th, one way or the other, this date looms large for wine lovers and wine drinkers all over this country. It could make an impact on how you can order your wine, how you can have your wine ship, all that good stuff. So we are looking forward to that. So mark your mark your calendars and tune in to the government network. So, <laughs> you don't need to do that. I'll do it for you. I'll let you know. As soon as I find out something, uh, I'll let you know. January 16th, Supreme Court. And I'll let you know uh, the Supremes, as they referred to them in this article a lot. I'm going Supremes. It reminds me of Diana Ross. So, Supreme Court. I made myself a note so I can put it right in the middle of my stuff so I won't forget. So, there you go on that. Let me uh, read you a little bit of... I wish I could find that article on Prohibition. That drives me nuts. Uh, Let's see. Maybe what site it was on, or what? what, Yeah, uh, well, I I get a lot of my information I get from uh, a wine industry network uh, afternoon Mm -hmm. brief. They uh, they call it, and uh, there's uh, a lot of information on that. It it just it's up to date news and stuff about everything and I read it a lot and I get a lot of information from it and all that and uh, yeah wait a minute Uh, uh, well I might run across it let me see okay here Napa County takes the first steps to run in wineries that break the law Napa has, as everyone who's ever been there or anyone who knows anything, Napa is the premier wine region of the United States. Everybody, whenever you speak of Napa, everybody thinks wine and they think of all that stuff and everything. Well, Napa has been battling these crowds for years. There's been people driving up and down, crowding the streets. Local residents do not like it, as you might imagine. And the wineries have actually pushed it a little bit further than they should have. After years of arguing with the police and all that, uh, more than 500 wineries in Napa have been informed as of the day before yesterday that they're going to start cracking down. Code enforcement program is going to start being enforced. And that's to the, the great relief and joy of the 140,000 residents of Napa Valley. Uh, The recent years, uh, Highway 29, which is your main drag through there, and Silverado Trail, which is is right over the hill west of uh, the valley, have been packed with people. And it's just, it's, I mean, years and years ago, many, many years ago when I was there, it used to be packed. I can imagine how bad it is now. No, I can't. I really can't. probably like a downtown city all the time. But they're cracking down. They're cracking down on code violations. Uh, The main provision in Napa Valley uh, Resolution will require all wineries to file an annual report on overall production and grape souring data to the county. Then the county is going to match it to their reports to the federal government and state authorities. Also, wineries will be watched for code violations. For example, how many people is in the tasting room at a time and uh, how many people are around there and, you know, ages of people being served and stuff. They're pretty good about this stuff. But then there's times when these places get packed and I'm sure that's when they're going to crack down on it. So, you know, the penalties are going to be harsher and more severe. And they're not going to be overlooked as they have been in the past. So some changes to Napa 
and Napa County, actually, I say Napa Valley, but Napa County, some changes coming in there because they're, uh, the residents have screamed and yelled and raised enough stink about it that things are going to be done. So you, if you attend or if you go to Napa regularly, you might see a little bit of change. If you live in Napa, give up the big sigh of relief. And if you're visiting Napa for the first time, you probably won't notice the difference, uh, except that there might be a few more signs saying we're only going to do this or that or this. So that's that's coming up in uh, in Napa Valley there. Uh, let's see. Well, I know I'm, I'm still I, I'm still looking for the thing on. Let's see. Is this it? Here's some. Oh, here we go. Ten surprising things about prohibition. This is what I was looking for. Ten things that might surprise you about prohibition. Uh, 21st Amendment repelled it. Uh, what was it, the 19th that put it in, I think, wasn't it? I, I believe so. But 14 years of a ban. Here are just, you know, ten things that might surprise you. Prohibition is the only amendment to the Constitution that has ever been repealed, which we know that. Uh, Prohibition uh, in place uh, in 1919, the 18th Amendment ratified it. It was the 18th, not the 19th. Prohibition was put in place a year later, and it was repealed on December the 5th, 1933. So it was, uh, well, 21st Amendment was basically, uh, oops, never mind, and they did away with it. Women were at the forefront of the push for prohibition. We may have heard that before. There was a lot, a lot of women's temperance movements going on, which gained a lot of momentum after the Civil War War, and particularly in saloons and all that, where they jumped up all over it. Uh, women saw alcohol as a home wrecker and was tired of their husbands drinking all the time, which they said led to abuse and poverty, not to mention that the country was poor at the time after the wars anyway. And so women suffrage movement really, really uh, pushed strong. And uh, supporters believe that giving women the vote to write up the vote, the right to vote, Increase votes for temperance candidates. And because the temperance candidates got in there, it was passed. <coughs> Excuse me. Anti-immigrant and anti-black sentiments helped the cause. Some of the supporters of the temperance looked around the country and decided they didn't like those who were drinking. It was, in many ways, a campaign of fear, fueling people's resentment toward the African Americans since the Reconstruction and the poor European immigrants. And so they, you know, the people who were for was really trying to stop the undesirables from drinking. Drinking alcohol was not outlawed by the federal government. Like I said earlier, that's right. It's not drinking alcohol. Acts of consuming liquor was not part of the 18th Amendment. It banned everything else, basically. The manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors. So you could technically drink all you wanted, but you just couldn't buy it or make it or anything else. And so, and there were a lot of loopholes in the prohibition. Uh, the Volstead Act, the companion to the 18th Amendment that defined what was prohibition, was meant to ensure an adequate supply of alcohol for specific research and other lawful industries and practices. Okay, alcohol, any alcohol you had in your house prior to the information of prohibition was yours to consume in your home. So if you knew it was coming, stock up. Physicians could prescribe alcohol for medicinal use. Sacramento wine was still legal, and you could also make homemade wine for personal consumption. 
To keep afloat, grape growers got creative by selling grape concentrate, often with very specific instructions how not to turn it into wine. You know, wink, wink. Uh, don't do this or this because it'll turn into wine. Yeah, so that's how a lot of vineyards stayed afloat too, not just through Sacramento, but through uh, through uh, selling grape concentrate or uh, bulk grapes. Transportation part of prohibition caused quite a few headaches. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson had a personal wine cellar in the White House. By the time he left office in 1921, prohibition was the law of the land. As if moving weren't stressful enough, he had to figure out how to transport his wines to his new digs. He was granted an exception from Congress. So, you know, it's illegal to transport, but, you know, here, go ahead and do it. Don't we say that the lawmakers should live by the same laws that they pass, not just the common people? Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in 1932, platformed on ending prohibition. And they think that's one of the main reasons he got elected. We're going to stop this. We're going to not do this anymore. Even though it was 1932 and it was, uh, you know, starting of the, of the big depression, he got elected basically because he's going to let people drink again. Utah was a state that technically ended prohibition. Yeah, what? On the evening of December 5th, 1933, Utah, not exactly known for its liberal attitude toward alcohol, as we all know, became the 36th state to ratify the 21st Amendment. That's the last one needed to write it officially into the Constitution. So, technically, Utah was the last one to sign it, which made it official. And uh, first state, Michigan on April 10th, 1933. So between April 10th and December 5th, they got enough states to pass the 21st and repel. You couldn't legally get a drink in Mississippi until 1966. And we've talked about how these laws are just coming coming back uh, and, and just haunting people still. The Magnolia State didn't quite join in on the repel Day celebrations. It was a full 33 years later that Mississippi's ban on booze sales were overturned, and 58 years after it had instituted its own statewide prohibition, even before the 18th Amendment. Mississippi was the last state in the Union to repeal its law after Oklahoma in 1959 and Kansas in 1948. But even today, there's all sorts of dry counties and municipalities around the country. You can find them everywhere. The famous one is where Jack Daniels is made. Isn't it Jack Daniels or Jim Beam? Jack Daniels It's made in a dry county. And number 10, 85 years on, interested parties are still battling it out over liquor laws, which is true. And that's the Supreme Court's going to be ruling on one of those Within the next couple, uh, within the next month here, um, a little bit more than that, the 16th, and today's only the sixth, a little over a month. Uh, the section two of the 21st Amendment gave power to the states to decide their own alcohol regulations, which is what's been haunting us since. That's created a patchwork of hundreds of different rules in each state or local territory regarding where, when, how alcohol can be sold. Only by the state through a three-tier system, not in grocery stores, not on Sundays, all sorts of stuff. But it left also all sorts of questions for the states or the feds who have jurisdiction or all that stuff. The Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution says states can't create trade barriers. All right. The 21st Amendment says they can when it comes to alcohol for the purpose of temperance or an orderly market and not for economic protectionism, according to court rulings. All right. You know, ambiguous statements there, but it has been debated back and forth, and it is still... Well, we had an ex-state 
senator that was on the program uh, a few years ago. He said, you, you need to sue under the Commerce Clause. Get a bunch of wineries together and sue the government under the Commerce Clause because it's stopping you from doing uh, selling alcohol. But the 21st Amendment sort of put a, a, a sort of a, a temporary wall against that. It's not economic protectionism. So, Prohibition, 85 years ago, yesterday it was officially repelled by the 21st Amendment, but it's still hanging around and haunting us now over and over again. Good, I'm glad I found that article. That's, that's what I'm going to tell you about. Uh, oh, let's see. And this is the one here. The United States government is purchasing grapes. Actually, they're giving money to purchase grapes. Let me pull this up here. I thought I did, but it didn't pop up. There it is. Well, I take a sip of wine. Mm. United States government has a $10 million grape purchase contract. Rather short article, let me tell you what it says. The long back and forth between the U.S. and China leaders on tariffs and the number of agricultural goods has put all sorts of problems in the grape industry. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture has completed a $10 million purchasing round designed to relieve the local table grape industry. Not affecting anybody but the table grape industry. Uh, Table grapes who rely on export markets in China have faced a 53% tariff. And the shipments of grapes to China were down 42.2% in volume and 41.2% in uh, and value in 2018 compared to 2017. Uh, the light at the end of the tunnel has to stop U.S. growers from feeling the impact of the so-called trade war. And so it has been uh, extended. The uh, relief has been extended to the next year also uh, because of this uh, pending how the tariff impact goes and how the talks go and all that. So the United States has purchased $10 million in grapes because of uh, of the tariffs, the Chinese tariffs. South American grapes. I wanted to go through this with you here. I've got time, yeah. South American grapes. Some varieties that are on the rise. They're rediscovering old vine and ancient varieties from South America, and they are starting to catch on in, well, not just South America, but around the world, people are starting to find these wines and enjoying them. Let me quickly go through these here with you. One of the things, uh, of the 120 varieties, 62 were extremely uncommon, and 26 were unknown varieties, never recorded before. Uh, This is after a survey of uh, hundreds of varieties in Chile that have been properly identified. They looked for some more around. They found a bunch of them. The flocks for free conditions in Chile have reserved a lot of the uncommon rare varieties, which have been wiped out around the world. So Chile has all these smaller varieties that are on smaller vineyards that have these varieties that are still growing and still doing well down there. One of them, the Pedro Jimenez, and that one we've heard, Pedro Jimenez, it's blended, it's been around for a while. Uh, It's uh, not to be confused with the sherry variety, uh, Pedro Jimenez, uh, though they're spelled basically the same. Uh, Pedro Jimenez is uh, planted in, uh, in Argentina, and it's uh, 
a new generation of people in Argentina are starting to use it now. It's a aromatic, crisp wine, uh, white. Uh, I'm reading this here, and I can't see anywhere where it says uh, very old for Argentina. I can't see where it says red or white on it. I would assume that it is white, but I don't know. Oh, well, Pedro Eminence. Uh, Netherlands, Cubranta, Q-U-E-B-R-A-N-T-A. It's a cross between a Pays and a Negro Mole. Uh, it's one of the more common, uh, more complex, as well as one of the finest of the Criolla grapes, uh, originally from Peru, and it's a true South American grape, uh, not found anywhere else in the world. Another one, Romano, uh, ancient variety from Burgundy. It's also known as the Cesar. It is now grown in Chile. Uh, Romano is used in Chile historically for very high-quality wines. It is one of the many grape varieties here that was wiped out in other parts of the world, particularly Burgundy, by the phylloxera uh, in the late 1800s. Nashon, a well, I'm pronounce this wrong, Biguinol, Biguinol, B-E with a little mark above the E, Q-U-I-G-N-O-L. It's an ancient red variety that has disappeared in its native home of southwest France and is now grown in Argentina and Mendoza's Yuko Valley, basically. And the natural last one here, found in Bolivia, and uh, this one I'm really going to destroy the name on, Visquitina, V-I-S-C-H-O-Q-U-E-N-A, with a little squiggly on it above the N, which I'm sure that's going to make it pronounced differently there. Uh, but uh, the Visquina is uh, grown with the Muscatel, Missionera, and Negro Creela in Bolivia, and it's been there for a long time. Uh, it's doing well in organic and biodynamic vineyards and little chemicals and stuff like that, little to no chemicals used on it and all that. Light grape with thin skin, light color, and something like a Pinot Noir. So there are some new, well, not new, actually, some old varieties of grapes that are being grown in, in Chile that are being discovered around the world in a lot of places. Um, let's see. Let me. There's something else I want to share with you here before we sign off for tonight. And that is oh, a couple more things. Uh, just a quick one here as soon as I find it. There we are. This <laughs> this was funny and it's, it's quick and I think it was something that it makes you go, huh? After I read you the statistics, language and wine. Uh, it, this article, and this was put together by a blogger by the name of Haley, <coughs> excuse me, Haley Moser. Uh, she's uh, looking in Switzerland. She does articles on Swiss wines and stuff. But she did a, uh, a test, a survey and French speaking Swiss drinkers as opposed to German speaking Swiss drinkers and she found these three statistics to be true one a greater proportion of French speaking drinkers are higher involved more adventurous wine drinkers while most German speaking drinkers are less experimental and more health conscious with wine. Two, perhaps not surprisingly, higher proportions of French-speaking consumers purchase wine from France, while German speakers are much more likely to buy German and Austrian wines, which, yeah, duh. And three, a higher proportion of German-speaking wine drinkers say bottle label design is important when purchasing wines, while French consumers report that they look for country and region of origin as well as expert validation in choosing wine to purchase. 
these are all Swiss people. So, you know, that might be a clue to it there that they are just truth of their countries and stuff like that. I don't know. But I just, I thought that was it. Yeah, okay, you know, type thing there. And one more thing for you here that you will find interesting. Lots of people used to come into the winery. We talk about Syrah or Syrahs. And some were surprised that Syrah and Syrahs is the same grape. There's no difference except that in Australia, they think it's cool to add the Z to the end of the Syrah, make it Syrahs. And because of that, they have, have their distinction. But here, this little article here will be interesting for you. What does it mean in price? Syrah and Syrahs are made from the same variety of grapes. But what you call the wine on the label has a big impact on the price, according to research done by Charles Stewart University. And I don't know where Charles Stewart University is. I'm sure Australia, I think. Professor of Applied Economics and Quantitative Methods, Eddie Okankowski, from the National Wine and Grape Industry Center and CSU School of Accounting and Finance has examined the strategic use of synonyms for varietal names in wine labeling. Legislation governs the type of information that can be used in the naming of wine in Australia, says the professor. In some cases, producers can strategically choose a great variety name that appears on the label. For example, Syrah is an acceptable synonym for Syrahs. Sauvignon Blanc is an alternative to Fumé Blanc, and Pinot Grigio can be used for Pinot Gris. Professor Okowski, uh, Okowski said the research examined if there are price premiums associated with these alternative names. We examined wines sampled in James Holiday's Australian Wine Companion from 2011 to 2016 using a model that controlled for other factors that may influence price, such as quality, grape, region, selling potential, and all that good stuff, said the good professor. We found that Syrah commands a premium of 27% compared to Syrah's. And that, that questions why the Australians are calling it Syrah's. Pinot Gris has a premium of 14% over Pinot Grigio, and prices for Fumé Blanc were 9% higher than Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, Honestly, those surprise me. 27% more you're paying for Syrah than Syrahs. If you're looking to save a little bit of money, pick yourself up a Syrah or a Syrahs. There are exceptions amongst winemakers and some consumers that there are stylistic differences between the alternate names. However, the evidence and blind tasting suggests that there is nothing that can be apparent. Professor said the research indicates that there is a potential for a small number of producers to capitalize on these premiums by using an alternate name. He said if there was a big shift in the industry toward labeling the wine as Syrah rather than Syrahs, for example, we would expect the current premiums to be eroded. Okay, you're not going to see the difference in it in, in any of those. The research findings also suggest that consumers may need to drink, think twice about purchasing some of these varieties which use these alternate names. In some cases, there's little point in paying a higher price for a wine if there is no demonstrable difference. The professor's research is published in Wine Business Research. So uh, there you go. Syrah, 27% more money to buy that than a Syrah's. I wow. found that extremely interesting. And there we go. But it's, it's pretty much it's the same thing, though. <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh, you know, it is the same grape. It is, you know, and, and of course they make it a little bit different. I mean, it just, you know, all wineries don't make it exactly the same, but still, right. it's the yeah. same grape. Right. You know, so. It doesn't, doesn't justify the cost. Uh, it, it doesn't. 
27%. I mean, okay, you're looking at, you know, Fumé Blanc. And you don't see too many Fumé Blancs anymore. Mostly, all the time, it's Sauvignon Blanc. Um, if I remember correctly, and I, I may be mistaken, but if I remember correctly, the first time I ever saw Fumé Blanc was Robert Mondavi back in uh, the mid-'70s started to make a wine he called Fumé Blanc. And everybody went, ooh. And then he said, no, that's just a Sauvignon Blanc. I call it Fumé Blanc. But, you know, 9% premium on that. But that's close. But even a Pinot Green, a Pinot Grigio, you're looking at a 14% difference there. I mean, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I, that struck me as very odd. Very odd, indeed. So, but right. there we go for another week. We are, yeah, we're going to end the show for now. Um, be back here December 13th. That's uh, next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern time for another edition of All About Wine. And um, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for uh, tuning in and uh, have a great week and a great weekend. And um, <laughs> we'll be yeah. back. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. a lot. Thanks a lot. Cool. Thank you. Have a- See you all next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank Bye. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash all about wine thank you for listening drink responsibly and we'll see you next time on all about wine